continue our sermon series, and we're going to keep looking at the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be following Jesus, seeing Jesus constantly in motion. And and this morning, uh, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Now, one of the things that I absolutely love, um, and I, I was one of those young people that whenever somebody would try to break out their wallet or they wanted to show me pictures of their children or their grandchildren on their phone or in their wallets, I was always one of them going, but now I'm a grandparent. And now I'm going to show everybody my grandchild whether they want to see her or not. So here you go. You get to see her. Here's a couple of pictures just from this last couple of weeks. Um, this was Jaden and Lizzie. We picked her up and she got to come home with us. And, and then we got to go have some ice cream. And uh, that was all. Actually, this was Red Robin Yom. Um, and then after that, we went and gotten some ice cream. And this is her playing. Um, you know, listen, as a grandparent, I can't wait to show these pictures off. People are like, oh, you have a grandchild? Yep, let me show you. You know, I remember the first time, you know, having a child. I couldn't wait to, to break out my wallet. Does anybody actually carry pictures in their wallet anymore? A couple of you, okay. Every, it's all on our phones now, yes. But um, a lot of times, there's still, you break out the wallet and there's like 20 pictures inside of it. Well, here's the thing. That's a snapshot in history, right? It's a snapshot in time that you would think, especially, you know, that's what we love to look back and we reminisce and we remember those times. Well, the disciples, you would think that they should have been carrying around a wallet full of snapshots of the things that Jesus did. Because in our story this morning, we're going to see Jesus sending the disciples out onto the lake, onto the Sea of Galilee, and as he sends them out, they're going to forget everything that they know especially what they've just seen hours before. I mean, it's crazy to see. In Mark chapter 6, verse 43, it tells us what happened when everyone was done eating. Jesus has, has multiplied the fishes and loaves. He's fed the 5,000 men, we're told. It could have been eight to 10,000 people that were there. And this is what we get at the end. In verse 43, it says, And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. So the disciples have this snapshot in their minds of what has taken place. And so you would think that they would be able to hold on to that with everything else that has happened, that they would be able to hold on to those. Well, here's the thing. We're going to break down this story of what happens next. And I have seven points, okay? And so someone said on Easter, it would never happen again that I only went 31 minutes. They were right. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So point number one, this is a hard one for us. Obey even when you don't understand. Obey even when you don't understand. Look look at verse 45. This is what we read. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Mark loves to use the word immediately. I, I truly believe that Mark was ADD, okay? Like, he, but, but here's the thing. This is what we talked about. And then, and then, and then, and immediately, and immediately. He wants to show that Jesus only has a certain amount of time, that he had to get accomplished what he could get accomplished. And so he wanted to get to the point. Jesus was always in motion, always moving forward. And that's what he wanted to get across. And in this case, it seems rather abrupt, doesn't it? They just finished 
eating. And it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, this is the word for compelled. And it has the idea of Jesus literally pushing the disciples to get into the boat. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, we read that Jesus gave orders for them to get into the boat. Now, too many of us, and maybe this was the case with the disciples, they wanted to know the why. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm told that I need to do something, I need to know the why behind it. Explain to me what we're doing and then I can move forward. And my son's the same exact way, and he wants to question everything. And I'm getting everything that I ever gave to my parents and my grandparents, because I wanted to know why. Well, why are we doing this, Dad? Dad, could, well, what if we do this? No, Justin, you're not listening to me. And I think that was, you know, Jesus was like, come on, get in the boat. It's time to go. It's time to go. Get in the boat. And all of that time, they're going, wait, 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 wait why? Wait a minute, why are we... Why do we have to go to the other side? Everything just happened, and it was amazing. And maybe they saw the storm coming, and they're like, Jesus, why? Why do you want us to go into the boat at that time? What we need to do is we need to change our attitude, our mind, and our thinking to obey even when we don't fully understand everything that's happening. And I'm sure that's exactly what was happening to the disciples. And in, in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, John reveals to us that there was something happening here. And, and we read there that they wanted, the people wanted to take Jesus by force and make him their king. Jesus wanted nothing to do with a political coup. That was not who Jesus was. It wasn't what his meaning was. It wasn't what he was. But they understood Messiah. Remember, the people had been waiting for a Messiah. The people wanted a Messiah to come and to free them in the line of David. And this has to be the guy. And he's going to set us free from Roman rule. And we're going to have the power at that point. And that's what they were pushing for. And so they wanted to take Jesus by force. So again, let me ask you, are you struggling with obedience today? It's hard. That word obedience, to obey, it's, it's difficult for us to fully understand. Is there anything in your life that you're resisting simply because it doesn't make sense to you? If that's the case, I want you to look at what Isaiah says. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, this is what we read. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you have trouble obeying, if you have trouble with constantly asking the why question, here it is. God simply says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Rely on me. They didn't know about the whole political coup. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And we're going to see later that, that, that that's not, the, you know, with what Judas does. He was trying to push Jesus to make that decision. We talked about that. And, and, and in this case, Jesus was like, hey guys, you need 
to just go and you need to get away. And, and you may be spiritually stuck simply because you're demanding to understand before you obey. Just allow him to lead your life. Number two, Jesus prays for you even when you can't pray for yourself. Jesus prays for you even when you can't pray for yourself. Look at verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So what's he do? He, he makes them get in the boat, and he sends them away, and then he disperses the crowd, and immediately Jesus says, okay, I'm exhausted. Now remember, he had just received the news that his cousin had been killed. Jesus needed to get away. He needed time alone from everyone to just focus with the Father. We see earlier in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that it was Jesus' custom to meet with his Father and pray. We read, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You see, Jesus unplugged from everything that was going on in, that, in, in his life just to pray with the Lord. Now, it's made very clear that there are at least three ways that Jesus prays for us when we have trouble praying for ourselves. The first one, he prays for our faith not to fail. Jesus prays that our faith will not fail. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, listen, he knows, Jesus knows that Peter is going to deny him three times. And he says, I pray that your faith will not fail. You're going, you're going to fall, but I pray that you will not fail. And I love this. He says, and when you turn again, when you come back to me, strengthen your brothers. Peter's going to fall flat on his face. And Jesus says, get up. And you need to be the one to strengthen your brothers. Even when you're at your weakest, you can still be a help to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Please never forget that. But Jesus prayed for Peter, and he does the same thing for you. Number two, that we stay away from sin and Satan. Jesus prays for his followers. In, in, in John chapter 17, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I, I don't want you to come out of the world. I don't want you to pull them out. Listen, we, we yearn and we wait and, and we just, we want the day that Jesus returns, right? And none of us want to go through the tribulation, right? Well, we're not promised that we're going to be taken out. And we're still going to, oh my goodness, um, things are happening in, in, in America today and I may lose my rights to be able to pray at work and, and we've lost the right to pray in school and oh my goodness, the world's ending, right? Would you like to know what's happening in other countries right now? What's happening to Christians? I'm not saying that those aren't trials and those aren't tribulations because they are and they're hard. But let's always remember that we're still, we're, we're going to have harder times to go through. 
Please never forget that. We're not promised a bed of roses. Well, actually, we're promised the roses as long as we have the thorns that go along with them. Never forget that. And number three, that we experience undivided unity. Jesus prayed that his disciples, that you and I, would have a unity. Because here's the thing, that's what's going to bring others to Jesus. When Satan can get in and he can destroy and he can tear us apart, the church, or the, the, when, when the churches are, are divided and distracted, that is when people go, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I have that in my own life. I don't need to go to church to have that. I, I can have that at home. So we need to be united. And that's exactly what Jesus prays for us. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now here's the thing, that's you and I. So he says, I don't just pray for these. I don't just pray for these 12 disciples. I also pray for those that are far out, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we exhibit oneness, our witness to the world will be powerful and palpable. When we become one, the world sees it. And they realize that they can't destroy it. They cannot take our faith. Listen, plenty of people have tried to destroy Christianity for thousands of years. They've tried to wipe out the Jewish people for thousands and thousands of years. And guess what? God saw the Jews through it. He saw Jesus through it. He saw the disciples through it. And he's still seeing us through it today. So we need to be one. That's very important for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus. Jesus is our peace. No matter what's going on around us, Jesus is our peace. Since Jesus made it a priority for prayer, we must do the same. And let me be clear, the, the problems that we have in this country today will not be solved by politicians. The problems that we face in this world and in this country today will not just be solved by people protesting. It will be solved by one thing, prayer to our Father. That is what is going to unite us. A political party, I don't care what party you are a part of, it is not what is going to just bring us back together. And, and, and all of that other stuff that has happened, are those, are those political parties, can they be good? Sure, they can. Protesting, can it be good? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing, and that is praying to the Lord for unity to come together, to get everyone to come together and to be one. I read an article this week called Spiritual Awakening uh, Brings Social Transformation. Now, the conclusion of the article, after reflecting on the impact of the Great Awakening in the early 1800s, this is what 
he said, time after time and nation after nation, the pattern is the same. When the Holy Spirit moves, lives are transformed. And when those transformed lives start loving others, serving with compassion, adopting God's priorities, and sharing the gospel boldly, the surrounding community starts to change. What's the change agent? What's the change factor? It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit and us coming together as one. That's what we have to do. And when we do so, we can make an impact on this world. That is what we've been called to do. How many of you know who Tony Evans is? I love to listen to Tony Evans. Man, he gets me going. I mean, there, there's certain things that, you know, he'll, he'll say, and I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that, Tony. And then I keep listening, and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I do. Um, but he's one of those, he, 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 is, he is an evangelist, and he is, he's located in, in Texas, and man, he has had some words to say on this. And this is what he wrote. He says, our troubles can be traced directly to ineffective Christians. There needs to be a recalibrating of many of our churches to be unified, to, to, to the unified purpose of the kingdom of God. Unless the church steps forward collectively to fulfill its God-given role of influencing the conscience of our culture, our country will keep spiraling downward into the depths of fear and hate. We must come together. And it's got to be us that lead the charge. We as Christians with the Holy Spirit inside of us is what will bring us together. So let's, so let's pray. Let's take great comfort in the fact that Jesus is also praying for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans, 3, or Romans 8.34 says this about Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So with this world, with our nation so out of whack, let's just stop for a second. And let's pray. Because I know that we're nervous of what, about what could happen today. What could happen tomorrow. We see the shootings that are happening all over. We see what is happening to so many who are losing their lives in ways that they should not be losing their lives. Let's just stop. And let's just pray. Almighty Father, I know that there is so much tension in the world today. There is tension with the police, with the political parties, with race, economical differences. Father, there is so much going on today that it breaks our heart to see what is happening. What we are seeing our young people have to go through in school and in the workplace. Father, we see people losing their lives that shouldn't be. 
Father, I pray that as Christians, that we will be united. Big C, big church, that we become united. And little C, the church right here in Stafford, that we will be united. That we will come together. Father, that you will help us to put everything else aside and that we will see you as our Father. That we all come together as one for one sole mission and that is to bring others to saving grace. To know you as their Savior. Father, I thank you for the many differences that I see in this room here today. I'm so thankful that you have brought us together, that we worship you, and that we never stop worshiping you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Again, our world, it's out of whack. And so the first thing that we need to do, we just need to stop, and we just need to obey even when we don't understand Secondly, we need to remember to pray. Even when we can't pray for ourselves, Jesus is praying for us. And that leads us to number three. Jesus puts you where you want to be, even when you don't want to be there. Jesus has placed you where you are right now. Look at verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So now it's dark. The disciples, they're getting into deep water. And from what we read in Matthew, it says that they were a long way from land. And what we read from John is they were, they were several miles out into the sea at that very moment. Some of you right now feel like you're in very deep water. Some of you are very concerned because you're in that deep water and the waves are coming against you and you can't swim. And you feel like that you're just going to sink. I don't know about you, but I felt that way. And it's one of the hardest feelings to ever have. The disciples, there 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 was no time to argue at this moment. There was no time to fight of whose fault it was for getting in the boat and letting Jesus push them away. Now they have to find a way to come together. They have to come together as a team. And again, that's what we're talking about. Finding a way for all of us to come together. It doesn't matter what gender. It doesn't matter what political party. It doesn't matter what generation that you're a part of. It doesn't matter what the scholar... It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter what sports team that you root for. We all need to come together. We need to find a way to be one. Somehow, some way, we need to put our differences apart. And it's time to repent if we have any smug feelings of superiority. If we have attitudes, words, actions that have led us down a path that we shouldn't be going, we need to repent of those. Number three, or number four, Jesus sees you when you can't see him. Again, they're several miles out there. Jesus knows exactly where they are. In the mess that they're in, the waves are pushing against them. They can't see Jesus. Here's the thing, they weren't even looking for Jesus. But Jesus saw them. That's what we see here. Look at verse 48. 
And when he saw that they were making, that, that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now, just stop for a second. Jesus, on purpose, sent them out in this storm. And they were making painful headway. That means that they were kind of rowing and not going anywhere. It's almost as if Dory was saying, just keep rowing, just keep rowing. But they're not going anywhere at all. And, and, and in all of this, Jesus could see that they were in pain and not making much progress. The, the word painfully means to torment and to be in torture. I mean, you feel, you feel that way on 95, right? You're just not making any, tor- or in, in, any progress whatsoever. And it's like complete torture to go anywhere in the boat. Jesus could also see that the wind was against them. And it was, we're told, John's account, a great wind. You see, the, the Christian life is not always going to be smooth sailing. We would love for it to be, right? But it's, we're, we're never promised that it's going to be smooth sailing through that. And, and here's the thing. While we have all had some mountaintop experiences, life actually is kind of dark down in the valley. We would love just to find that glimmer of hope and just kind of travel about mid-mountain or even on the top of the mountain. But I'll tell you, if you are on the mountain top for too long, you kind of get worn out. So when we find that middle ground, like that's where we want to be. But many times, too often times, we find ourselves in the valley. Acts chapter 14 verse 22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to take comfort. Please, take comfort. I've, I've used this verse over and over and over again because it, it is so meaningful and impactful for us today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus has not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. He is there. Yes, the wind's against you. Yes, the pain and the torment is against you. But he is with you always. Number five, deliverance is often delayed until it's at, the, at its darkest. Deliverance is sometimes, oftentimes, delayed until we're at our darkest moment. Look at the second half of verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. This fourth watch was sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. So they've been out there for several hours, eight hours, trying to get across this sea, and they're not going very far at all. I mean, eight to nine hours, they're rowing, they're trying, they're giving it their all, and they're not moving anywhere. And they can't see Jesus, but he makes his way to them anyways. Don't don't you love that he knows exactly where you are right now? Not just physically, He knows where you're at mentally. He knows where you're at emotionally. And he knows where you're at spiritually. And he makes his way to you, even in those hard times. Job chapter 9 verse 8 says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Psalm 77 verse 19 says, The Lord's way was the, the Lord's way was in the sea and his paths in mighty waters. Now, 
I'm sure the disciples have never seen a man walk on water. Have any of you seen a man walk on water? I haven't. I, I, I found out this last week that there's a lizard called the Jesus lizard that can run across the water. But I've never seen, I, I've seen, I've, I've seen four-wheelers, I've seen vehicles, but I've never seen a man or a woman or a child walk on the water. It, it, it doesn't happen. In our darkest need, in our darkest hour, in, in, in the hardest times of our life, when we are the most discouraged, that is the moment that Jesus comes to you. We tend to think that our biggest problem is whatever we're facing right now in front of us. Jesus wants us to know that all of our answers are found in him. And we must never forget that. Number six, your greatest need is to see Jesus for who he is. Your greatest need is to see who Jesus for who he is. I want you to go back to the end of verse 48. Let's pick up a curious phrase. It says, he meant to pass by them. What's that mean? Hey guys, hope you're doing well. When we read that, it's kind of curious for us to read that. But we go back to Exodus chapter 33 verse 19. And God said that he would have his presence pass before Moses. This is exactly what was happening. They were going to see the power of who he is. That he is the Lord. Verses 49 and 50 tell us that the disciples, they see Jesus, but they really don't know who he is. We read there, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. The word for ghost means to be a phantom. Remember, there was a lot of curious things that they were afraid of, a lot of superstitions about the Sea of Galilee. That was where the Leviathan supposedly lived. And when they cried out, it was like shrieking. If you've ever had a little one get scared or your wife get scared of a spider, that's the sound that these 12 disciples made. They were scared to death in these moments. At that moment, what do you think the disciples' biggest need was? Was it to have the storm die down or was it really to just know that they could have their best life now? There's a lot of preachers out there that are falsely saying the best thing that you can do now is to just have your best life now. What those 12 guys needed was a savior who could calm the storms and get them to shore. Right now, what's your biggest need? Maybe it's just the calming voice of Jesus in your life. Knowing that he is there with you in the boat. The number one thing that they needed and we need is to increase our awe of who Jesus is. Jen Wilkin put it like this. Our primary problem is not a lack of self-worth. It's the, that we lack awe. 
don't tell me who I am until you have caused me to gaze at the I am. That's exactly what Jesus wanted the disciples and those others to know. Exodus chapter 3, verse 47, or verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And Jesus uses those same words in John chapter 8, verse 58. He says, Jesus said to them, Truly, I say, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And what those disciples needed at that moment was to have I am with them. And what I want to share with you here today is that the I am is with you. And I love what Jesus says at the next part of verse 50. He says, take heart, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That, that is what they needed. I'm not a ghost. I'm not some phantom. I'm here to take care of you. And I'm here to see you through it. Just as a quick aside, if you want to read about um, Peter calling to Jesus and saying, hey, come and walk on the water, you have to go to Matthew's account. Mark doesn't mention that. He kind of moves past that point here for us because he's, he's getting directly home to the point. But what we see in all of this is that we have to know who the I am is in our lives. Final point here this morning. Be on guard against a hard heart. Be on guard against a hard heart. Have you ever wondered how the disciples could be so dense? They, they just saw the amazing miracle that Jesus did. They have seen him do many great miracles, but they didn't have the snapshots of pictures in their wallet to go, oh yeah, I, I remember that moment. Oh, that, that was only eight hours ago. Oops, my bad. They forgot at that very moment. Look, look at verses 51 and 52. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. To be utterly astounded is to be bewildered beyond belief. To be left with one's mouth just wide open. What? That just happened? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments in your life, but that was one of those moments that these disciples had. They've seen some amazing miracles. He's already calmed the sea once. Don't forget that. They've already forgotten that. He's performed all kinds of miracles. They've forgotten all of those things as well. It's that fight or flight mentality. Well, they wanted to all flee at that very moment. They'd forgotten everything. And tragically, because they had forgotten, their hearts were hardened. Listen, if you don't lock in and learn what the Lord is trying to teach you, it's likely that you'll become hardened. Allow his teachings to truly sink in. Hebrews 3.13 urges us, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
don't let your hearts become hardened. It's interesting that these disciples' hearts were hardened, but when the boat hits the shore, we read that the people in general were humble and hungry for help. Look at verses 53 through 56. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to whatever whatever they heard he was. And wherever he came in the villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. So here's the question. Is your heart hungry or is it hard? These people had just heard about Jesus and they came running. The disciples who were with Jesus constantly couldn't believe what had just happened in, and their hearts were hardened. As Christians, we have to guard our hearts. We need to repent of any wrongdoing in our lives. Those thoughts that we may have had, those smug feelings that we may have, for whatever reason, that we will let it go. Let it go. And allow Jesus to just come in and take hold of our hearts, that we will be hungry constantly. I'm reminded of God's faithfulness every day, but I'm going to tell you, even I, from time to time, start to get a little hard, and I have to guard against it, and I have to repent, and I have to let it go, and I have to put it at the foot of the cross. And so here this morning, we're going to take communion. And as we prepare to take communion, if you haven't received it, it's on the back or on the sides. I encourage you to get up and get that. Um, I want you just to put everything before the Lord right now. He is the I am. And he is the I am of your life. And so here this morning, I encourage you to as you partake of communion, I'm going to pray in a minute, and as you take of communion, that you just lay whatever burdens you have at the foot of the cross. That that you take whatever it is that you have in your life and you just ask for that forgiveness all over again. That you will ask Him to reconcile you to a brother or sister in Christ if you have had ill feelings towards them. would just lay the burden of sin before him. And after I pray, the the worship band's going to come up and we're going to continue to worship him. And and I just hope that these songs, that through this message and these songs, you will just see him in a new light this morning. That whatever walls have been built around your heart, that you will just tear them down. You will break them down. And while we're worshiping, if there's a decision that you need to make, if you need prayer in your life, I'm going to be in the back. I'm going to be hanging out. I'm going to be worshiping with you. I'm with you. I'll I'll talk with you. I'll pray with you. I'll just listen. And if I don't know the answer, I'll, I'll help you find that answer. 
Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for today and that I am able to just bring this message to you. And Father, as we partake of communion, that we will remember what you have done for us. The example that you have set in our lives. That you will not allow our hearts to become hardened. And if they've already started to become hardened, that you you will help break those chains down. That you will help us to get through, get past, and look to you for everything that's going on in this world and in our lives. That we, that we will pray for peace. That we will become united. And that we will stand firm for one another. Father, it is only you that can bring peace that we truly need I thank you for the gift of your son and what he did for us on the cross we pray this in your son's most holy and precious name